for our liking but the bannermen are back the kings are one point away from going to the greatest tournament in all of sports and vardy my friend how are you this evening i am jolly as can be i'm like santa claus on christmas eve baby i am excited and i think he's excited because the stanley cup playoffs are around the corner and it looks like vardy i don't want to jinx it but it looks like the la kings will be a part of them if you believe in all of these statistical uh, analyses put out there, I think it's something like a 98 plus percent chance they would have to absolutely collapse, ruin their pants, <laughs> yeah. and have every other team around them do really, really well for them not to be able to make the playoffs at this point. Agreed. Which is, which is great. Agreed. And uh, just so we can cover this real quick, we haven't done an episode in quite some time. Uh, we had some problems, some technical difficulties. Um, we had hardware issues we need to upgrade. Uh, we resolved them now. We sound great. We look great. We feel great. And, and here Back we are. Better than ever. Juiced up. Ready to rock it, brother. That's Both right. Mania running wild. So let's kind of go over things. So the month of March, we did one episode early. And uh, now we're in April. So it's been – it's actually been 14 games, Vardy. <laughs> 14 games since we did an episode now to be fair that's due to in large part to the very condensed portion of the king schedule uh in march towards the end of march especially but one thing that really jumps out at you when you look at the results it's a whole lot of back and forth win loss win loss win loss win loss win loss so on and so forth which kind of ties into what we've been saying all season long which is this team is still kind of struggling to find an identity, still uh, struggling, working through to find some sort of consistency. But what did you see in the last 14 games, party? I know that's a big sample size, but... Not at all. I plan on spending exactly 4 minutes and 12 seconds on every single game. So the remainder of this episode will just be me talking. Okay. That is not the truth. Perfect. <laughs> Day um, off for me then. That's fine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Take a seat, brother. I got this one. Um, no, I think uh, definitely the win-loss, win-loss, back and forth, that's, as you covered, that's that's definitely been kind of the status uh, status quo. Actually, I should say the modus operandi of this team um, for all you Latin lovers out there. And there are um, many. No, the inconsistency has definitely been a hallmark of the team uh, thus far this season. And... Um, it's definitely been troubling because they started off so well and then around December they had that dip and that inconsistency is kind of what's kept them in out of the playoffs. I mean, these guys were neck and neck with the Golden Knights throughout the beginning third of the season to actually win the division and it all just kind of fell apart. Um, but I think especially over the course of the last four or five games, um, they've started to to gel and kind of hit their stride a bit. And I think the one thing that stands out to me, two things I should say, um, is one without question is the play of, uh, of Kopitar. I think he's turned it up to a completely different level for him, especially, you know, with some highlight real games, some career highlight games in there, um, hitting a career high in terms of his point totals and whatnot. Um, and really starting to get into the conversation about some season end awards that, Honestly, I don't think any of us really expected him to even be mentioned in. Um, but the other thing that I think has made a very, very big difference, and we kind of have touched on this several times, is um, the difference that Jeff Carter makes for this lineup and just how he's played over the last few games. Um, I think he's up to, what is it, 12 goals in the last 17 games, something bonkers like that. I believe he's the at 13 and 18 13 and 18 for the season he's at 13 in 25 which averages out to about a 42 and a half goals 82 which game is, season which is amazing 
for anyone who's his age, but let's let's look beyond that to the fact that the man's coming back from a pretty significant injury for a hockey player where you're getting a tendon cut in your leg. And quite frankly, if you look at the goals he's been scoring, they're not your classic Jeff Carter goals either, which to me implies that he still has another gear to him. I mean, a lot of these are like tip in, hand eye, kind of front of the net goals that I almost expect like Dustin Brown to be scoring. You know, there's been very few of these picking corners, Jeff Carter goals that, or, you know, racing someone out and, and just beating them in a foot race kind of goals that I'm used to seeing. So to me, I feel like he's, he's still got another gear to him and hopefully we see that with the boys going into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the Carter thing. You can't underestimate or undervalue what he brings to the team. Um, I think what he's really done as well is kind of elevate Tobias Reeder too a little bit. He's been looking good mm-hmm. uh, since Kara came back. Uh, but but back to Kopitar, man. I mean, I don't know what to say. He has 91 points. And I remember earlier this year on one of our episodes, we said, oh, you know, if he gets his usual between 75 and 80, that's just great. You know, we don't really expect him to. And man, he has set career highs all across the board. And the exclamation mark, of course, to his amazing season was that four-goal game against Colorado, which mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I was working the Twitter machine that night, and I just couldn't stop just gushing about him the way he played that game. That was, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's a, like a career best performance, which I did too. I said that's probably the best game I've ever seen him play, but it's not because of the four goals. Yes, that helps when you can put four in the net in one game that's probably one of the better games you ever played but if you look at some of the ways he scored those goals like for example his fourth one right mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a ddd pass a terrible one by tyson berry i think he's trying to go across and he back had no look i believe yes yes the ryan gets left special uh, i don't know why he was trying that but kopitar intercepts it and he basically goes what 140 150 feet, feet down yeah. the ice and, and scores and that's just that one play basically is exactly who that guy is in every facet of the game. That's why I thought it was one of the best games he's ever played. He was dominant. He had the puck. Colorado had no answer for him. He was a defensive machine. He was blocking shots. Like, if you could, if you had to make one video or pick one game to show someone who Andre Kopitar is, that's the game to me that you use to let them really understand just the level of player he is and it's funny because we always you and i whether it be on the podcast or over text whatever we always talk about man this guy has another gear that we haven't seen mm-hmm. yet this guy has another level that we ever we haven't seen yet you know we always early in his career we always kind of compare him to yevgeny malkin it's like look at malkin mm-hmm. why can't he be more like malkin this and that that you know that next gear and i think it's amazing that he has reached it now at age 30, 31 like yeah, 31. 30, yeah. 30, 31, which still tail end of the career for, for most second players. half of the career for most players. Right. 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 And, and I, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, he's, he's just, and I don't know how much of this is the, is the John Stevens versus the Daryl Sutter effect, whether it's truly been something along the lines of like, okay, we've, we've loosened the reins on him a little bit. We're letting him, you know, do a little more because I don't think that I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think Kopitar is such a responsible player. He's such like a cerebral guy that I can't imagine what it would even be like to coach him. Right. Like you would have to do so minimal out there. He just goes out there and does what he comes naturally to him at this point in his career. And it's and it's just beautiful hockey. But he's definitely found that extra drive, that extra will to just take it to the net as opposed to hang on the half wall. He's shooting more. I think his shot total is the highest it's been in his entire career. And that's obviously reflected in a lot of ways beyond that. I think it's, you know, he's he's managed to elevate Dustin Brown's season as well. And Dustin's, you know, a couple of points away from having a career year as well, I think. And it's just, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I think has started getting him elevated into the conversation of not just, is he a Selkie trophy candidate, but is he a, is he a heart trophy candidate? And let's be realistic. He's not going to win the heart trophy. He's not, he's not even going to make the top three in the ballot. I don't think for, you know, various reasons, not the least of which being that he's geographically the farthest away from Toronto of any other player in the league. But it's just, it's, he plays the most complete game right now 
of any player, I think, who's even in that conversation. And if he doesn't have the Selkie locked up, it is, it's a crying yeah, shame. Like, well, it's absolutely I, travesty. I have no idea how you could give the Selkie to anyone else right now. Um, the usual suspects, the Taves, the Bergerons, I, I, don't, I don't even think they're finalists because Bergeron was no. hurt. His numbers quite aren't there. Yes, if he had played a full season, I don't see how Bergeron wouldn't be the favorite because just he was on a tear when he got injured. Taves right. isn't there. So you're realistically looking at Kopitar, Barkov, and I don't know, maybe Couturier, maybe... I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Because right, none of those right. guys have brought that same consistency and kept it at that level all season. If anything, Kopitar has actually peaked towards the end of the season now where he's pushed himself into the top 10, pretty close to the top 5 in scoring of the league, it's, and continued on with playing more power... Uh, I'm sorry, more penalty kill time than any other player in that scoring category, more defensive zone face-offs, more face-off wins. I mean, it's just... If you're talking about the most valuable player to their team, you take Andre Kopitar off of the Kings, and they are a steaming pile of turd. And Oof. you could say that for a lot of players. <laughs> but I, I, I put, and I posted this a little while back. Um, if you look at the top 50 in NHL scoring, there's only two players that are in the top 10, right? So the top 10 scorers in the league, there's only two players who do not have another teammate in the top 50 of scoring. Right. It's Taylor Hall and Andre Kopitar. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, a lot of people would agree that Taylor Hall is having a tremendous season and should be a Hart Trophy candidate. Yes. Um, so a few interesting numbers here. Taylor, Taylor Hall has a 42-point lead on the second-place scorer in his team, which is Nico Heischer. Andre Kopitar is at 91. Drew Doughty is at 59. So that's their gap. Um, so obviously Hall has a bit of a lead there. But, I mean, to me, those two guys have to be finalists. And it's not just because of those two stats I brought up. It's because, it, like you said, if you take those guys off those teams, they're in deep, deep trouble. Uh, both seem to be – I think New Jersey's still in the mix for the playoffs. I think uh, – I'm not sure what they did in, in their last game. But – the Kings look like they're going to make it. New Jersey's still in the mix. You take those guys off those teams, man, especially with the Kings, with Jeff Carter being out so long, imagine that lineup. Mm -hmm. Imagine that center depth. If you, t I mean, obviously we're playing. Nick Shore, number one center. That's right, all you need to right, say. Until they trade him um, and Adrian Kempe becomes your number one center, which is big problems, <laughs> big problems for your team. But no, I, to be honest with you, I don't care if he wins the heart. I, oh, I, don't I, I don't care like there's a lot of people who get really bent out of shape about like why aren't you putting Kopitar in your list and I, like I don't care I really don't care because I get so much satisfaction as a fan when I look at his stats and I see that he's a 90 point player it's like something I've wanted to see ever since he was a rookie right. and in his first three four seasons you were like okay this is for sure happening um but then of course you know Terry Murray Daryl Sutter they they kind of I don't know, mold him or whatever to be a true, complete defensive and offensive player. And those numbers start to dip, but obviously his defensive game goes off the charts. And now you're talking about a season where his defensive game is still just as good as it's ever been. But now it looks like barring some sort of mini miracle, he's going to finish top 10 in scoring. The first king to do it since Ziggy Palfi. Um, he might get a hard consideration, like we talked about. Uh, first king to get that kind of consideration since probably Wayne Gretzky. Wayne. Um, yeah. And it's, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. The numbers that he's put up this season. Um, I, we tweeted this 90 point plateau. First time any King has done it since Wayne Gretzky in 93, 94. Uh, after that, the closest were Robitaille and, and Palfi in 2000, 2001 with 88 and 89. Like these are really long times, guys. This is a very, very long had time. Completely different jerseys. That's that's how long ago it was. It's been a long time. And Kopi, I don't think any player deserves it more uh, with the amount of work he puts in on and off the ice. Uh, it's just I could talk about Kopi for an hour this season because that's just he's just been that good. I'm so happy he finally reached that. But like I said, I don't care if he wins the heart. Give it to whoever the hell you want. Fine really don't care i know we know as fans what he's done for the team we know his numbers we see his numbers we see his overall effect on the game and you have to watch mm -hmm. every game to know this that's why when some i don't know fly by night 
radio guy who works in Carolina says, I don't know if Kopitar is going to be. Yeah, good. I don't care. I really don't care. I agree. I don't care either. Honestly, it's it's not even that. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Like we were, I would have been perfectly content with 70 point seasons for the rest of his career. It's just, it's nice. To, and I don't even care if he drops to 70 next season. It would, you know, it would probably affect the team negatively if that happened, if his game, I don't want to call it fell off, but like regressed back to his mean. But I, I think it's just nice to see the capability at least come out one time to have him have that kind of season and yet still be a defensively responsible player and still have the team, which has lost a lot of guys is playing a lot of younger guys behind him, be able to look at him as, as a leader and not only lead them in terms of offensive production, not only lead them when they're down their second line center, who was their leading scorer the year prior, but to rebound from the terrible season that he had last year to put up career highs. And yet still the Kings are leading the league in terms of the least number of goals allowed, which he plays a tremendous part in. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, whether you you raise the question, whether it was a coaching thing that changed, it is an interesting question because you look at, uh, Kopitar uh, with 91 points. You look at Drew Doughty, 59. That ties his career high. He's one away mm-hmm. from 60, which would be a career high for him. And you look at Dustin Brown, like you mentioned, who is now three away from tying his career high. So you take those three guys, you you take their numbers, and it does beg the question, man. It does really raise that, is that did the coaching change with Pierre Turgeon as the offensive coordinator, with John Stevens now at the helm, with the new assistant coaches, and even with the new management, how much of an effect did it have on these players? So when you look at three players like that, and you look at career highs like that, and quite frankly, I have no doubt that Jeff Carter would be probably reaching oh, career highs if he was healthy all season. And you look at definitely. those four guys and you wonder, you know, how much of an effect does the coaching have on this? And it's got to be at least, you know, a somewhat significant amount. Yeah, yeah, there's the, it has to be and I mean if you want to look at it on the flip side of that I'm not for everyone who's doing well I'm I'm still confused as to why Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson just still have not found that consistency even since the return of Carter. I mean they they played well the first couple of games and you thought they were just going to pick it up and run with it and maybe take a little bit of the burden off of off of the top line. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe they're maybe they're good seasons coming next season because everyone else seems to be responding well to this uh, coaching change, as far as I can tell. Toffoli still has twenty four goals. That's the second highest total he's had in his career. Right. I, I realize I'm no, you know, but but you know, to your point, he has not looked very good. You know, numbers right. aside, like there's the last few games, he just looks like. He has <laughs> it just looks like he doesn't want the puck. Like, just don't give it to me. I don't know what to do with it. Take it yeah. away. Someone get it away from me. Tanner Pearson, you know, numbers aside, I think he's really been committed to front uh, net front presence being a nightmare for goaltenders in front of the net. I think more mm-hmm. so than any season in his career. Obviously, he's only had a few, but point being is that i think he's really committed to doing the little things which is nice to see you know it's it's nice to see him screen the goalie it's nice to see him willing to pay the price so the team gets goals and yeah he has 15 which is not great uh yet he's coming off a 24 goal season but at the same time if i'm i'm not too worried about tanner pearson you know if he can round his game out to be a 20 goal consistent 20 goal guy where he's screening the goalie he's he's responsible for goals where he doesn't show up on the score sheet fine that's good another player that might be going in through a disappointing stretch is adrian kempe actually mm-hmm. and it's not different than pearson because kempe now you see him doing the little things you know on the scoreboard he hasn't showed up i remember we talked about how um we'd be disappointed if he didn't eclipse like the 30 point mark at this point because he was right. he was so hot at some point and he does have 37 but i think we were kind of anticipating a 20 goal year from him it's not going to happen unless he gets four in the in the next two games uh probably not even though crazier mm-hmm. things have happened especially to him unfortunately uh, we're not playing montreal in the last three games right or else he might. right right and he doesn't have michael camilleri on his wing so that's, i mean that's really that's where things started falling <laughs> off <laughs> exactly but the little things from players like those two guys it's very, very nice to see. 
Yeah. No, I, I'm, I agree. And I think, um, I think I see him more in Pearson's game where I'm like, okay, at least I see him trying. I, I see, I'll see him playing that same honest game. Um, but to fully like, that's not his game, right? Like to fully should be your finisher should be kind of like your sniper presence on the top two lines. Um, taking shots, you know, being in a position to receive shots, kind of getting into those gaps on the ice where he can actually get the high quality chances. And he's just not doing that at all. Like it's his game is a little bit of a comedy of errors right now. Like sometimes you just see him like going into these board battles where he just looks completely out of place. It's just swiveling around and falling or just slapping the puck against, you know, random opponents, shin pads and stuff. It's just, just off in some way. And, and, you know, you know how that goes sometimes where you, you kind of get into your own head and then it just all kind of spirals and you're just not playing well. So I'm hoping it's just a little bit of that and clears up for him because you can certainly use him being at his game, you know, at the top of his game during the postseason as well. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the postseason a little bit, Vardy. Uh, again, Kings have not clinched yet. They're one away. Uh, they have two games left. So in reality, they could still clinch without them winning a single or gaining a single point they'd be playing with fire a little bit there um so i guess sounds like the kings yeah that's what we do Uh, i guess my question is who do you want in the first round should the kings make it i think we've touched on this before but let's revisit that so i think I think so. The two most likely opponents, obviously, at this point, are Vegas or San Jose. Correct. Right, depending Correct. on where they kind of fall. And uh, I think a few episodes back, I mentioned that I thought they were going to finish uh, third in the Pacific, meaning that they would end up playing San Jose. Um, they've played Vegas well the last couple times they played them. There was those are those are high stakes, big games for the Kings. It was a home and home series, and they showed up and they played very well. I think and Vegas is getting hit with some injuries right now as they're going into the playoffs that, you know, could affect them. Um, and they've certainly shown some weaknesses in their game towards the tail end. And so I think, I think the Kings would probably fare a little better in my opinion, in a seven game series against Vegas than they would against San Jose. That being said, I don't think San Jose this year is the same San Jose team that, um, that we played a couple seasons ago that, basically handed our asses you know in in no time at all and we just look completely flat Uh, joe thornton's game is not where it was joe pavelski's game is not where it was um really martin jones is is the one thing that still frightens me a bit from that team because he just manages to play well against us every time we seem to play against them and so um i think honestly i think the kings have a fair fair shot against either of those teams for various reasons okay so i don't want san jose i don't want san jose at all okay and there's two reasons one of them is six foot four and his record against the kings career is nine wins three losses with a 93 save percentage and a 2.06 goals against average and he has killed us ever since we traded him and that's martin jones and and it's it's uncanny man the king's have a lot of a lot of trouble scoring on this guy mm-hmm. and it, it's been like this ever since he, he got traded to the sharks it was like that in the playoffs the kings just can't score on this dude and that's why i don't want to play them Barty. i don't want to play them and another reason is evander kane mm-hmm. who yes they're not the same team but since the kane trade the sharks are 11 4 and 1 and kane has 14 points in 16 games including a four goal game himself so yeah, I don't want those guys. It's hard to argue that, man. It's, I, I agree. I It's not ideal. No. And Vegas, on the other hand, it's kind of an unknown. The history is not quite there. Like you said, the brief history they've had with the Kings, the Kings have been somewhat successful. Um, I think there's holes in that lineup. Sure, they, they play well. Uh, they play like kind of a well-oiled machine, but I still think there's holes in over seven games. The experience the Kings have, the number of playoff games some of those players have played together, I think over time they can come together and expose those weaknesses in Vegas. Whereas I think the Sharks just, again, it just comes back to the Kings' inability to generate offense against that team. Historically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you take away 
uh, even the playoff series where we beat them, the Sharks have kind of had our number for quite a long time now. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, man. I, I fear playing those guys even during the regular season because of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, that being said, every time we've played them this season was earlier on in the year before we had a, you know, a complete forward lineup and, the, you know, the Jeff Carter effect, obviously, I don't think can be understated. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm more optimistic this year than I would have been in prior years. So I'm not saying that I would prefer San Jose, but I, I definitely feel better playing against them this year than I did even, you know, two years ago when I thought we, I, I thought we did pretty well to get into the playoffs and then just were not performing at all once we actually got there. So the percentages break down like this. Uh, Kings probable playoff opponents, 4% chance they play Nashville, 38% chance they play Vegas, 0.4% chance they play Winnipeg, 54% chance they play San Jose, and then a 3% chance that they'll have Anaheim mm-hmm. uh, in the first round. So, yep, Vegas or San Jose, uh, it's probably going to be San Jose. <laughs> Or if you're Honestly, a fan of prop bets, Winnipeg. Yeah, it's probably going to be San Jose. Uh, there's also a part of me that just is tired of seeing that series. It's true. It's a and a think, fresh matchup might be kind of nice. Yeah, and I think that that's the other aspect of this whole, you know, the way the playoffs are arranged right now and how the divisions are divided is like you just keep seeing the same matchups over and over again in the first round, which I think partly was what the NHL wanted because it – breeds rivalry and better games and whatnot but it's like i've seen this movie before yes. you know i can recite every line and at, at some point you'd like to watch something else if for no other reason than just variety and if they end up playing each other in the second round then okay you know there's nothing you can do about that but yeah it would certainly be nice to to get a little bit of a change of pace but i i don't think it's in the cards for us unfortunately yeah uh so regarding clinching the playoffs the Blues actually have a home and home with uh, Chicago coming up, and mm-hmm. should St. Louis lose either of those games, the Kings have clinched the playoff spot. And that would actually, if I'm not mistaken, if the Blues lose one to Chicago, win the other one, and the Avalanche beat the Sharks on, I believe, on Saturday, that would set up. Colorado versus St. Louis in a winner-take-all final spot in the West game, Ooh. which would be pretty awesome. Uh, that I, would be. I'm kind of rooting for that, to tell you the truth. I would That'd love to awesome. see that. I, I mean, a one-game playoff for the playoffs. Basically, yes. You gotta love and, it. And I think at the GM meetings, they kind of threw this idea around. By the way, I don't know, was it was it hockey or maybe I'm mixing it up with basketball, but. One of the oh, like the sixteen seventeen a play teams in. play against each yeah, other yeah a play in um I think the top certain number of teams would be in and then the bottom uh, half of the of each conference would have to have a play in to get into the playoffs <laughs> <laughs> it's not I mean it's pretty cool man it, it's 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 a pretty cool idea um, another idea I heard that I absolutely loved was like. A draft, so the a way, playoff draft, a playoff draft. Oh, so, they, so oh Nashville, I see. I so see. Nashville's it's like random no, opponents. Nashville's the number one seed, right? So they would mm-hmm. go up and say, "We draft because we've I don't know played them well. Like we draft the Los Angeles Kings, and we want them in the first round." And oh, the second, man, that would suck. <laughs> but what what would be interesting is that it would open up these scenarios, right? Where like I don't know if Toronto went up and they're like, "Fuck it, we want Montreal." You know, we want what if, Montreal what in, the, if, in the first round. What if they did it like the draft odds? You know how the draft lottery odds are where the last 15 teams, there's a certain percentage probability that you end up being the first pick, second pick, third pick. What if they did it like that, but they did it like a playoff lottery where the top seeds from each conference have a certain percentage probability of being the number one seed, and then it all kind of goes that down. That so it's it's like the Kings would have a four percent chance of being the number one seed, and then and they would go up knowing and pick. their luck. No, 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 no. They oh, don't you're pick. just talking about it's seeding. Just, just pick. It's it's just the seeds are seeding. based on their Ooh. percentage, based on their like, you know, just like the the reverse yeah, lottery odds yeah. for the man. You could crap draft. out. You could crap out bad on that one. 
Well, it would be terrible knowing the Kings that get first, you know, they'd get first seed and they'd be sitting there thinking they're going to, I don't know, play Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, man. Knowing they're like, they'll probably get the Sharks again, no matter what. Exactly. I don't mind the playoff format now. It's just fun to talk about like possible scenarios to, to really spice it up. Cause I mean, this is all entertainment, man. Honestly, like, do we really, I, I think sometimes, and, and I'm guilty of this too. I think sometimes we take sports a little too seriously. You know what I mean? Like, nope. no, you don't know what I mean? Like, nope, for example, I right? Think, I, think, I think I take it just seriously enough. Fair. But for example, I, I would totally. I would give up all parts of my life for it. <laughs> I would totally allow all steroids in baseball if I was the commissioner. Because honestly, <laughs> I just want to be entertained, man. Give me someone who's going to slug 100 home runs a season. That's what I want to see. Like, don't ban substances. I'm here. I'm paying a ticket to see the greatest show on earth. You know, um, no one argues when, if, you know, Brad Pitt is on HGH and he's looking like he's 25 years old at age 65 or whatever the hell he is now. No one complains about that. They pay the ticket. They see the movie. But in sports, it's all these, like, sports is so sacred. Anyway, I, I feel as though we've gone off topic. But <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to talk about Brad Pitt for the rest of the podcast? Is I mean, hey, if he's on the HGH, maybe he could play wing for the Kings. I don't know. Speaking of the playoffs, let's talk about uh, a team that's not going to make the playoffs, and that's Vancouver. And more specifically, mm-hmm. a couple of guys who will end up not winning a Stanley Cup in uh, Daniel and Henrik Sedin announcing their retirement. <sighs> you know, when you're in the heat of battle, those series we had against Vancouver, I probably hated those guys a lot. Not more than Burroughs or kessler but an, a lot but now as i was a good natured hate it was like a hatred of their ability yeah rather than it was like, like their God, existence right i hate you i wish you would play for us for right. free things right. like that but, it wasn't like burrows where it's like i hate you i hope you burn on a spit somewhere <laughs> right but it is it is kind of sad that they'll go out without winning a championship uh, especially when you consider like those teams vancouver had in like the late I don't know, thousands, whatever you want to call it, 09, 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. uh, until the, they met the buzzsaw that was the Los Angeles Kings. But <laughs> overall, your feelings on those two guys retiring and I guess as a fan, what they meant to you, if anything. They meant to me that the Canucks always had the potential to beat us, quite honestly. And from the perspective of someone who who loves hockey first and the Kings is like a one a um, watching, watching them play is just something else, man. And that, that, I don't know how much of it is the freaky deaky twin mind <laughs> communication um, versus just being really good players who played with each other their entire lives. And they know where the other person's going to be. But I think they made some plays out there against us and against other teams that only they could do that. Only two people who are completely in sync with how they play, could play like that you know you see people do individual effort that's always there but it's it's something really remarkable to have two players execute and you know even when they weren't scoring like the stick handling the control in the zone the fluidity to their game um i think was something to to really appreciate from the perspective of someone um who enjoys watching you know hockey in general um i think they're they're probably retiring with a few seasons still left in their game and there's already some speculation that they're planning on going back to swedish elite league and playing a couple seasons there as kind of like a you know farewell tour if you will um which i think is their right and i think i think is a beautiful gesture uh to their home country to do that so um yeah i i i wish them well uh I think of all the players that Vancouver has had that I have hated, I don't I don't feel like good riddance with their retirement. You know, it's very much like a all the greats that yeah. I kind of grew up watching are, are all leaving, which means that I'm just getting really, really old. Yeah, it's very much a, a tip of the cap kind of feel to them. Right. You know, as a fan, their type of hockey is the type of hockey that I love, right? It's and they were like yes it's a european flair it's very much a creative game it's very much the give and go game those two play together but they Mm -hmm. also bought a 
I, they also brought a bit of grind to that game, which was just a lot of cycling, a lot of puck possession. Like, good luck. Good luck getting the puck from those two guys when they were on the ice in their prime. And mm-hmm. I don't think there was any power play I feared more than Vancouver with those two guys clicking all the way. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh was up there, but I remember, man, we, we've played Vancouver a whole lot more than we played Pittsburgh over the last decade or so. Um, particularly, you know, those playoff series. And they were terrifying on the power play. I, and I remember so many times they scored huge goals against the Kings. And I still have images of them celebrating on Staples Center ice and all this. And it's one of those things where I feel bad. The one thing I feel bad about is that they never won. I really feel like, and I hope I don't feel that with, with Ovechkin. I know we're getting there. But yeah. it's, it'll be the same kind of feeling. It's like, man, I wish they won one. You know, I wish they beat the Bruins in 2011 or something like that. Not in 2012 because we needed the Kings to get that, <coughs> get those Ws. But overall, like, I think they're going to go in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think they'll go in together. Of course, I think the, I think their Hall of Fame speech. They will be standing on the podium <laughs> together, just like they've done everything together. They will just say the same speech simultaneously. <laughs> That would be awesome. One of them may say it in English and the other one in Swedish. Either that or they just, you know, one of them does one half of the sentence and the other just finishes the sentence. Every other word, just the most annoying speech ever. <laughs> really playing up the twin angle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing that this does, this does do for Vancouver is it kind of now you could be like, okay, we could now full on rebuild from the ground up yeah. like this was the these were the last two like relics from our <laughs> like mini glory days where which nothing came of them except like a few president's trophies or whatever so good for them uh happy trails to them real good players real good dudes it seems like too i don't think there's anyone whether it be a writer whatever a fan who's ever really had anything negative to say about them yeah and it's it i think it it brings out um something very interesting that i think we forget sometimes because the kings have been you know they've had that success they won their two cups and um the window for players you know even good players on good teams to win a cup is so fleeting and it gets smaller and smaller i think with how the parity is in the nhl right now um it's really quite impressive that, you know, teams like Chicago have won three, that the Kings have won two. And I, I'm not even saying that from from a biased objective. I'm just saying that from, like, the objective of, man, it, you know, they made it to to two cup finals, won two of them, and made it to a Western Conference finals in three years. Chicago won three cups in four years, five years, something like that, including going on a ridiculous run of something like winning – points in 36 games i mean if you had pegged anyone in the mid 2000s to give you some prediction as to who would have won the cup vancouver would have been one of those teams for sure just because they're firing on all cylinders winning you know winning president's trophies like you were mentioning and it's just crazy man it's crazy that they could just never put it together and you know it's it's unfortunate for them um but someone has to lose every year and you know you just hope that Ovechkin and the and the Capitals, again from the from the perspective of a fan of having watched a great player play their career, really a generational talent in his case. I mean, the man he's he's, can, he's still leading the league in scoring, and he's got more white hair now in his head than than he ever had as a kid. And it's it's very impressive. And you know, it's tough to see players like that go through their whole career when you know they're they're doing everything they can to help their team win, and it's just not coming together for one reason or another. And there's a lot of those type of players too that really oh, yeah. you feel bad for the Matt Sundins of the world, Marcel Dion. Yeah. You know, you're talking about two of the best to ever do it. In Dion's case, he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game, and he didn't even get mm-hmm. a sniff. You know, he didn't even get close to it. Um, so yeah. Uh, good for them. Congratulations to them. Um, something crazy, Vardy. We are now at the end of the season, and not a single coach was fired this season. Really? Not one. I don't know. Did, has that ever happened? That seems very impressive. 
that's I mean that's partly because Montreal is just I don't know what's going on with Montreal. You would have think that Julianne would be like go of light years ago, but yeah. Or I like guess that's that's very Elaine Vigneault or like I don't know, someone who's just their team's been a tire fire all year. Right. Um but if you look at it, all those organizations that you would have thought their their coaches would be like oh, are kind of just in transition or like a year or two into transition or just being run by a GM that everyone thinks is not going to have a job by next season. Like I can't even imagine what's going to happen with some of these teams at the end of this year. Yeah. I wish there was like a stat I could look up if this has ever happened, but just, I guess for comparison's sake, last season, 16, 17, five coaches were fired in season. Um, and this season we got bagels and, and, is there one that really surprises you? I could go first if you'd like, but the one that really, really surprised me that they haven't been fired was probably Todd McClellan mm-hmm. uh, from Edmonton. Just because there was the expectations on the Oilers were so sky high, and granted, the GM, you know, has a lot to do with that. Just ask New Jersey fans and and, <laughs> and Taylor Hall, who is just lighting it up right now, and. Man, it must suck to be an Oilers fan at this very moment, knowing you got Adam Larson for Taylor Are you telling Hall. me that you don't think Adam Larson is going to be a Norris Trophy candidate, a perennial cornerstone defenseman? No, and the thing is, I don't think even his highest projections, I don't think it, they ever projected him to be that high. I, no. know, I, I know you're kidding. I know we're having fun with it, but that's what kind of boggles my mind. Like, Taylor Hall was projected to do what he's doing right now. You know, and yeah, the, mm-hmm. those those projections projections might have changed over time or whatever. But he was always projected to be a top, you know, a top player in the league, a top winger in the league. But anyway, yeah, Todd McClellan, biggest surprise for me, for sure. I would say the name I mentioned already, Claude Julien. Yeah, just because yeah. of what's I mean, Montreal is a town that you know is not very patient with their hockey team. You know, they expect a certain level of performance at all times. And I, I certainly thought they were going to do better this season. In fact, looking back at our season preview episode, I thought they were going to, they were going to challenge for, for winning the division and, and looks like they're challenging for winning the top lottery pick at this point. I think it's just a huge drop off, but I think a lot of Montreal's problems stem from higher up in the organization and the fact that Julian yes. still has a job as a reflection of just what what a toxic atmosphere that team has become with Bergevin in there and all this conversation about Pacioretty getting traded and and whatnot you know it's it's just ludicrous it's ludicrous that that team has just fallen apart kind of the way that it has in so many different ways yeah and we'll we'll do an episode where we go back and kind of review our season preview and see how well or how embarrassingly awful we did with our project uh, with our predictions. That'll be a fun one in the mm. off season, which we can't hope, wait. Yeah, we hope that off season episode is far away. Uh, we hope our boys can make a little bit of a run here. Um, realistically, though, Vardy, let's talk about this. Realistically, if you had to give me a range of how far you feel the Los Angeles Kings oh, can man. go in the playoffs this year. Um, are we are we first round exit? Are we second round exit? Are we twenty twelve style come out of nowhere and, and take it all the way? Man, it's tough, man. I, it's very it, it very is tough. tough. It's tough. This this team over the last few years has been very difficult to predict in that way, you know, because I don't think anyone in twenty twelve or twenty fourteen you know, felt like they were going to make a cup run. And in 2012, they were just juggernauts right out the gate. And it seemed like nothing could stop them. Um, And then 2014, I thought they were going to lose every single series. I mean, they got pushed to the ropes on every single series and found a way to win. And so they've, they've played the playoffs in remarkably different ways, whether they win or lose, you know, they, 
they've lost in the Western Conference Finals against Chicago, against the eventual Stanley Cup champion, and you just felt like they gave everything they had, and, and they lost that nicely. And then they lost against San Jose in the first in the first round, and they looked like they could not have cared any less the way they lost. Like they did not show up for a single game, and San Jose had their number, and they were out for blood, you know. And so it's tough to say. I, I I do wonder how much the losing of the last couple seasons has, you know, entered their psyche now and how much of that is going to be a bit of a rallying cry going into the playoffs, especially if they're able to keep up this little mini hot streak going into the playoffs, how much of that will carry them forward. But then again, the larger body of evidence over the course of the season is that they'll have these games that are just they look like a complete team that can do really, really well. And then all of a sudden the next game they show up and they lose four zero to Vancouver or something like that to Phoenix. And I think one of the things to consider now is it really close to the playoffs as much as, you know, we joke and, and you know, make fun of our, our home players. Jake Muzzin is not playing. He's injured. Granted, yep. it sounds like it's more of a day to day thing and he should probably be back soon. But Derek Forbert just got hurt this last game and that looks like it's pretty much a season ender from how that looked and he was playing at least second pairing defensive minutes if not first when he was being paired with Dowdy and doing an okay job of it so now when you have that kind of damage to your defensive core and you're asking guys like Kevin Gravel to come in and play 18-19 minutes and you're pushing up Dion Phaneuf from his comfortable 19-20 minute numbers to 22-ish minutes out of necessity. You're asking Paul Ledoux to come in, who, again, his season has kind of been all over the place, and that's that's probably worth talking about as well, just because, you know, we thought for sure he was going to lock down a, a roster spot, and I think he's played 15 games maybe, getting, you know, ice time in the low teens. It's just it introduces a lot of variability, and even this morning when John Stevens was asked, uh, you know, which which six defensemen are you going to put out there? He gave the most non-committal answer I've ever heard in my entire life. It was just like, I'm just going to, I'm going <laughs> to, he might as well have said, I'm going to see which six guys can actually skate on defense and put them out there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough for me to say on that playoff prediction thing. It, I'd like to think at least they'd make it yeah, to the second round, right? The thing like, is, I think, they'll, they'll have a chance, right? And that's the whole thing about the NHL playoffs is like – Every series, no matter what the series, I don't even need to know the matchups to tell you that there could be upsets all over the place. Uh, I don't need to look at the matchups to tell you that a bottom seed wild card team can knock off a division champion. This is just the way this this league has been now for for a while. Right. Uh, we know it more. We know it better than most from what our own team. Intimately. Yeah, what, from what the Kings did, uh, but I do want to kind of touch on that defense conversation um and the possible opportunity for daniel brickley who is now with the la kings off a just another rob blake <laughs> under the radar signing of a highly touted prized uh, ncaa hockey player now part of the la kings and so much so that he's practicing with the team yeah i think it's interesting you know more and more you're seeing NHL teams. I know, I know like my newsfeed just kept popping up almost every day. I was getting some alert about some other college free agent signing with an NHL team, uh, over the past couple of weeks. So I think it's interesting that it's become more and more of a well that NHL teams are going towards to, to find really quality players who are a little farther along in their development. You can plug them in and expect a little bit of better, better result. And I think the Kings were one of the teams that were, were much, uh, earlier on to that bandwagon than than some of the other NHL teams that are now kind of catching up to it. And Rob Blake himself, having played college hockey, um, I think that's that's a big factor in terms of where he looks and you know having being able to point to guys on the Kings that are you know out of college like I follow guys like that that they're kind of finding later on in their development they're they're able to say like look these guys get roster spots these guys play for our teams we don't just sign them and send them to you know Ontario and never bring them up again so I think that's a that's a huge carrot to dangle in front of these guys and it's 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 reassuring to see them exploring every possible way to bring in players especially if it is someone who maybe could come in fill in be a decent player 
on on our team. I mean, the Kings were in the running all the way up until the end, I think, for for Will Butcher even, and he's had a tremendous season for for New Jersey and helped them kind of turn it around as well. The interesting thing to me is now if the Kings were to, I don't know, clinch by next game or whatever, if they would throw Brickley into a game just to see what he has, just to see maybe how he handles one NHL game, uh, because like you mentioned, the Kings without Forbert, you'll probably have to start leaning on Kevin Gravel a little more. I think Paul Du's already, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if he's going to stay in the lineup or whatever, but then you have other options like McDermott, if you want to call up Fattenberg, if you want to call him up. But I don't know if any of those guys really makes me feel fuzzy inside. Um, but I will say, man, Christian Foline, the last few games has really, really stood out to me as a real solid NHL player. I think this is the most games he's played um, in any NHL season. And especially against Colorado, he, I think he blocked two high-quality scoring chances just in the last few minutes. And he's rounding out to be a very, very solid bottom-pairing defenseman, which is nice to see. Again, another kind of under-the-radar acquisition by Rob Blake. Um, boy, most of his acquisitions have worked out, haven't they? If you mm-hmm. really, if you really break it down. So, no, I, I tell you, man, I, we talked about this again, his, his mission to re- redefine the bottom six and make it a speedy grind it out kind of, you know, group of guys that'll show up for every game has been one of the most understated and most important transitions that have happened in this team i mean you just look at the last couple of games and how important those bottom six guys have been guys like nate thompson tory mitchell um even amadio kind of coming up uh, clifford has played tremendously trevor lewis um has been you know when he's healthy he's been very a vital part of that but i think just the guys that he's been looking for there's been a very very common theme to them and it's 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 great gming i think it's 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 not the you know the glitzy moves that are going to win you gm of the year awards but it's the stuff that's really going to show up come playoff time i you know i never obviously we didn't know what kind of gm he was going to be but man I, i don't think i expected him to be this kind of savvy about and really like so organized and and clearly now now it's very clear this guy has a very like transparent plan in place mm-hmm. for what he wants to do with this team and my concern was very much that you know he maybe didn't maybe he was a type of gm who was going to go for it every year and just kind of be like yeah let's just build champions but he has a very he has a lot of foresight, which I, I could really appreciate. Right. And, and I'm nothing but impressed with him uh, in his first year as the Kings GM. And by the way, update, Dallas just beat San Jose in regulation, which means now the Kings sit two points out of second um, with two games left for each team. So how's about that? And the Kings hold, <laughs> by the way, Kings hold the tiebreaker. Right. That is something. Ain't Wouldn't that something. be something if we end up, if we end up second seed oh, after and, all this? And they'd be, <laughs> yep, they'd have home ice against San Jose. Not that, <laughs> that's something that. Which <laughs> I almost don't want. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's not reassuring to me in any way. But it is, this is the thing with this playoff rates. It's been it's taken years off my life because one day <laughs> one game okay has made has had such a significant impact on the standings day to day that the kings were out right. there were a point where the kings were out of the playoffs last week <laughs> i believe uh there was a point where they had dropped out of the wild card completely based on i don't even think they were playing that night um so it's been that kind of race i i have enjoyed it um and now it looks like we're gonna have more of those, more of those feelings. The I Kings mean, it's, have a shot it's at great, right? Now. Like, it is it's great. great, though, isn't it? If you're if you're an executive sitting at the NHL, looking at this, looking at you know, you've got six teams that are within four points of each other or something ridiculous like that for the last two playoff spots, and it's literally gonna come down to the last two games of the season to decide who makes it and what the standings are and everything. I mean, that's that's beautiful. That means that you've done 
a great job in terms of organizing these teams and putting in rules that make it so any market, if they know what they're doing, can actually contend, provided everything, you know, provided they do things right. And uh, I mean, these are teams that, I mean, Dallas should have been closer into the hunt than they were. I mean, Dallas, you know, their goaltending has really been what's let them down this season or else they were, they were right up in there as well. Calgary, very similarly up until a few weeks ago when, when they started kind of hitting a rut. And I think we all kind of expected that because, you know, one of the, one of the few, uh, one of the few things that you can always trust in the NHL is that Mike Smith is not going to <laughs> do a very good job. <laughs> and you know, what's crazy. Yeah. It is. Look, we we're we kind of we're kind of talking like the Kings are going to be in the playoffs for sure. I mean, let's be honest, we're kind of talking like it's 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 a done deal, which we should be careful with. Um, but it's still these last two games of the season are still going to be hectic because the Kings, for them not to make the playoffs, I think the scenarios that we'd have to see is the Avs going two and zero, the Blues going two zero and one, that one being an OT loss to the Avalanche, by the way. And the Ducks probably going two and one, and the Kings going zero and two. I don't know if I said that part, but that's a yeah. scenario where the Kings probably miss the playoffs. And is it that crazy? <laughs> is it that crazy? I'm going to say I it's mean, not. It's really no, not that crazy the way not. things have gone. So uh, buckle up. We can have small celebrations because there's a ninety-eight something percent chance that that's not going to happen, and the Kings will probably be in the postseason. But until they get one more point or until all these other ridiculous scenarios play out, uh, I will be taking short breaths. <laughs> you know, if I if we can make a brief transition kind of to the other side of the country <clears throat> and just looking at the eastern uh, standings, which are not nearly as ridiculous as they are in the west, um, Florida is really the only team that's kind of challenging for maybe a spot and they've had a good little run here too um but they're they're in a much tougher spot i mean they're they're four points behind philly with a game in hand yeah they're barely hanging on i mean they're barely hanging on right like that's that's the only team that's had any type of contention whatsoever everything else if you just look at the east from carolina all the way down to buffalo it's just like these guys have been out of it for a month at least if not more than that and it's just it's very surprising to me it's very surprising the difference between the west and the eastern conference um i don't know there's a couple there's gonna be some fun matchups in the east too man (laughs) toronto versus boston if that actually happens because it's still not clear if tampa or boston's gonna win the atlantic honestly either one of those matchups toronto boston or tampa toronto would be man must see hockey television for Toronto, sure. Boston, especially based on the last time yes. that series happened. Yes. And just the, the, <laughs> the crushing blow to the entire series yeah. of to, the city of Toronto. Man, that is going to be a fantastic series. Yeah. That I is mean, just going to be something. If Toronto loses that series, <laughs> <laughs> there might be a crater. <laughs> There might be a crater where Rogers Place used to be. Um, especially, I mean, I don't There's ex- just Drake left at the end of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I don't expect them to ever lose the way they lost in 2013 uh, to the Bruins in that such spectacular fashion. So for anyone who, who's listening who doesn't know, in 2013, uh, the Maple Leafs uh, going into Game 7 – in the third period, halfway through the third period, we're up four to one, <laughs> four to one on Boston, and they end up losing that game in overtime, being eliminated. I still remember James Reimers—I don't know—I don't want to say his face, but his mask looked sad. You know, you could just tell from his mask that he was very sad. Um, so that's what we're talking about. Hopefully it doesn't happen again for the Leafs. I like the Leafs. I think they're a good team, good young team, fun to watch. Austin Matthews is a great player. I think Frederick Anderson is a severely underrated goaltender. Uh, I would love to see that matchup. I would also love to see Tampa uh, play Toronto because that would be a fast, fun series. Uh, but really, I mean, here's the thing. I called I called at the top of the show the Stanley Cup playoffs the best tournament in all of sports, and 
I don't nothing will ever match up to it for me. Just the unpredictability, the historic rivalries that end up being playoff series. It's just like the NBA, right? I think everyone pretty much knows for the most part who the final four teams in each conference are going to be at the very least. And I'm I think I'm undershooting here. I think everyone might even know what the final is going to be. And I think I, here's the thing. And even if we're wrong, even if like unanimously you can say who the final four teams are going to be to the point where if one of those teams doesn't make it, it is like a topic of conversation. Right, it is right. like, I mean, there's articles and books and analysis <laughs> and, you know, you name it. Generations speak of how they didn't possibly make it. Whereas that can happen at any given point in time in the NHL, I feel like. Exactly. It, and in all fairness to March Madness and, and basketball brackets, especially this year, which was a complete just every you know, no one knew who was going to win any any game from one one to the other. The difference is, I think in a one game series, anything can happen. It's crazy when it happens still in seven game series. Right. When you still have eight seeds beating the one seed in a seven game series. That is why this is the best tournament you can have the best playoff tournament you can have absolutely anyone can have one lucky day or right. you call it lucky you call it whatever you don't get the bounces one day one game you know these things can happen but i totally agree man to go in a seven game series you have to lose four games to an underdog you know what i mean that's not an underdog anymore at that point if you're gonna, right. you're gonna drop four to them and that's the beauty of this tournament that's the beauty of the stanley cup playoffs and man i hope the kings are a part of it because it's crazy right like they weren't a part of it last year and even though they were a part of it in 16 and the, and they missed in 15 it feels like they haven't been in the playoffs since 2014 right. in many ways because that 16 series was just such a disappointing gong show I, I don't know how many times the kings led in that series but i think the answer is not a lot yeah and and you and i have talked about this and again like you know we we watch hockey we'll watch the playoffs no matter who's in there right because what's more important is just watching the games but it is just such a significantly different feeling watching when it's your team in there watching when it's you know when you've seen this team win a couple cups when you've seen them go really deep into the playoffs you know these guys inside and out versus like sitting there and watching okay pittsburgh columbus you know i'll be excited because it's playoff hockey and i'll enjoy it no matter what but i'm not going to get nearly as invested as i would if the kings are in there and i think that's the part that that hurt the most you know with them not even like being close to the playoffs last year right i was just it was just like the the stakes weren't there you know like it didn't it didn't matter to me as much who won i'll tell you it is a lot harder to watch the playoffs when the the kings are playing definitely and when you see like the anaheims or the san jose's of the world making deep runs and whatnot it gets upsetting um but hey kings are one point away from making all those bad memories fade away already fade away give me a and and to tell you the truth, I actually feel better about this team in the playoffs than I do that 16 team. I know that hindsight is 2020, but down the stretch, the way that team was playing, that 16 they team, they were not playing no, well. They blew at the all. division in right. a period, you know, uh, ending that season, and and maybe because we're underdogs this time, you know, maybe because their the expectation isn't there. Because in that year, that 16 year, people were talking about Kings are going to do it again. You know, they got. Lucic, they're big, they're bad, all this other nonsense. And this year, I don't think anyone, you know, whether the Kings, even when they clinch, I don't think anyone's picking them to do anything, quite frankly, in the West. Or even if they surprise a few teams going much further, you know, the Nashvilles and Winnipeg of the world waiting there. It's a different feel. It's a way different feel. It's more like that 2012 feel um, more than anything. Yeah, and... Coincidentally, if I'm if my memory serves me right, 2012 was very similar in terms of the playoff seating and how it came down to the very last game. Because I think because of because of how the last game went, it was a complete flip flop with where Phoenix and uh, us and I want to say Minnesota 
like I, for some reason, those are the three teams in my head that stand out that it, it completely changed the seating and it dropped us down to eight and it put us in the position where we played Vancouver versus <laughs> yeah. had we won, we would have won. I think we would have won a division and Phoenix would have dropped down or some, 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 something like that happened. I seem to remember from 2012 towards the end. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that what you just said was so insane. <laughs> but the fact that the Kings were in a position to win the division and they finished in eight. But that's 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 literally what happened. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, literally what that, happened because of that screwy because of that screwy seating that the one and one to eight format used to have, where right. you could be low on points, but if you're the best in your division, you're seated number three. So yes, 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 I do remember that. <laughs> so yeah. And yeah. I think like it bumped Minnesota to seven or something like that. And right. it was just completely changed how, how every, who was playing who. And sometimes, man, that's, that's all it takes, man. That That's yeah. all it takes. Sometimes it's a matchup issue. Here we go, folks. Buckle up. We got two games left. We need one point to clinch and we are excited. So excited that next week, Vardy, we're going off the rails, buddy. We're not doing two we're not doing an episode every two weeks for this short time next week we're gonna try to do another show guys because of the problems we had with technology <laughs> the issues we had we're, we're gonna try to do a playoff preview show um i don't want to over promise and under deliver so we're gonna under promise and hopefully over deliver for you so look out for possibly another episode next week all right guys that's it for us it's almost time it's almost the best time of the year. It's almost playoff time. Next time we see you, the playoffs will be underway. You can find us and on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Twitter, everywhere where you can connect with people. You can connect with the Bannerman. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.